Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Well, good morning, TriStar Church. Um, It is a pleasure and honor to be here today. Um, First of all, I just want to thank our worship team, and I want to thank our whole uh, volunteer team this morning, um, from the front door all the way to kids, from the first time we dropped the trailer at 8 a.m. to when we uh, pull it away at 1230. We have an incredible team of volunteers that make uh, this morning happen. Um, And even the gates of hell have come against us today uh, between COVID and fall break and uh, my mental sanity. And we have come to the moment where uh, God is completely sovereign and he is making sure that the church can gather and that we can come closer together in community. And so I just wanna thank our volunteer team and just encourage you, if you uh, are not connected with us just yet, or you've been coming for a little while and you feel like this could be a place that you call home, uh, we would love to get you connected into a serve team and and build community there and and be a part of what God is doing at TriStar. We're actually almost, uh, what, nine months into this. We launched in January of this year and it's been absolutely incredible to see uh, what God has done through all of this. I mean, uh, something that started with Matt and Carmen and their vision, uh, nine months later, we see a, a family uh, come together of believers and uh, we, we've seen him move, we've seen him uh, grow us and we're so glad to be here in Farragut, uh, loving on these, this community and doing what God has called us to do. Um, I will say with the craziness of today, I'm gonna take a moment of prayer because uh, more than anyone, I need it. And so uh, let's pray together as a church. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come uh, only to proclaim the name of Jesus this morning. I pray that it would not be my words that are spoken, but instead your words. I pray that uh, no one uh, in this room would be glorified other than the name of Jesus. And that as we look at the scripture, that you would enlighten in us a greater perspective of who you are and what you are doing. May this not just be a tradition where on Sunday mornings we gather, but instead would it be a family coming together to commune with each other and to grow as believers so that we can go and affect the places where we live, work, and play. God, may it all be for you and about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If I had it my way, uh, we've been going through this uh, book of Jonah for three weeks now. This is the third week, and we called it Jonah, the mystery of God's mercy. Um, And I'm gonna be honest, that was just Matt's call. Uh, My initial thought was Jonah, the world's worst prophet, and we didn't exactly see eye to eye on that. And so I, uh, you know, I let my leadership win, and, and I trust him. And I, I started to look through this because if you grew up like I did, I grew up on a Baptist church down the street or in a Baptist church down the street. And Jonah was only ever a felt bored story to me. It was only 
Uh, have you all experienced that in Sunday school where they have this whole felt board and they like put props up on it and this and that? And so Jonah was only ever this guy that was kind of in the fetal position in a whale. And that was the only thing I ever knew about it. And so as Matt and I were talking about uh, what this series would look like and uh, what we would get from it, I was like, man, four weeks, you're crazy. This is, this is insane. Uh, and then I started going through the book of Jonah and realizing like, it's not about the fish. It's about how much Jonah stinks. He's awful. I mean, literally he just runs away from what God wants him to do only to come back and complain about God giving him his, his assignment. It's basically a reel of ESPN's not top 10. If you've seen SportsCenter, you know, the not top 10, it's where they show the biggest bloopers of the week. That's basically the book of Jonah. Like all of the Old Testament is light in comparison to how Jonah messes up the story with how much he gets in the way of what God wants to do. If you haven't been coming the last two weeks, uh, Matt has been delivering some great words about the story. So let me recap it in kind of my own way. I know that scares Matt, but in my own way, these are my words, this is how I read the story. So in Jonah chapter one, God calls Jonah and says, hey, Jonah's a prophet, so he hears directly from God and God says, arise and go to Nineveh. And so what Jonah did is he arose, turned 180 degrees and went the exact opposite direction until he hit water. And when he hit water, he goes, well, I gotta get on a boat because I'm not far away enough from Nineveh that I have to go even further. So as he goes even further away from Nineveh, God, in his complete sovereignty, says, I need to remind you who I am and I need to show you that you have sinned against me. So his wrath brings this great storm. And as Jonah is in the underbelly of, of the boat, there's these pagan sailors that are supposed to be taking Jonah to wherever his, uh, his, his final destination was. And the word pagan means that these were just not believers in the God of Israel. They were not believers in the God of the Bible. They had just made up their own gods. And so pagan, uh, the pagan sailors in this massive storm with 20, 40 foot waves decide to pray out to their own gods. And of course, nothing is working. The storm is still raging. And so they're like, what is the outlier here? What is the thing that has changed? We've always uh, done this. We're sailors. Uh, what has caused this great storm? Only to realize that it was Jonah. Because in the midst of the great storm that God has caused to get Jonah's attention, Jonah, again, tries to ignore God. He is sleeping down in the underbelly of the, of the boat. And so in Jonah's infinite wisdom, he comes up and he says, hey, throw me overboard. It is I who have caused this and throw me overboard, which seems very valiant. But as we uh, uncovered or Matt uncovered, it was actually a really selfish move because Jonah wanted to get the blood on the hands of the sailors and him be the hero of the story. And in the process, if he dies, he still doesn't have to go to Nineveh. I mean, it's a win-win for him. That's how badly Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. And so after a lot of arguing, the sailors do throw Jonah over. And as Jonah is sinking deeper and deeper, which we uncovered last week in chapter two, it says that the Lord appointed a fish to come and swallow up Jonah. This is the links that God will come to make sure that you know that you can't run away from him. 
He was making sure that Jonah knew that even from the land to the sea to the bottom of the ocean, that God was there and that God wanted Jonah's attention. And that's where we find ourselves today. I actually am gonna read Jonah uh, chapter two, verse 10, that leads us into chapter three. If you have your Bible or your uh, phone, which is now the most popular Bible, if you'll grab it um, and read with me, uh, we'll go through Jonah 2.10 and chapter three today. And I love this verse because Jonah 2.10 says this, and the Lord spoke to the fish. This is after Jonah has been in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And he has come to this realization that God is God and that he should obey, that he should listen, that he should be faithful to God. And after this prayer ends, it says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And I love how visceral that is, is that you have to, you have to imagine that this fish comes up and physically just hurls Jonah out onto dry land full of, uh, stomach acid and other liquids that I don't wanna get into. And that's where we find ourselves today that Jonah is now on dry land after being vomited from a fish. And this is what it says in Jonah chapter three, uh, verses one and two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So God calls Jonah for the second time and it's actually the exact same message. It's the exact same assignment. It's the exact same mission. Arise and go to Nineveh. He changes the end of it and we'll get to that in just a second. But one thing that I discovered here is that Jonah, since chapter one, verse one, had not heard from God until now. Jonah's entire journey from whenever he decided to run away from his mission to now, he had not heard God speak to him, but he had witnessed the power and the sovereignty of God. And this is just a little side thing. Let me just tell you that in your life, God may not be speaking, but he is surely doing something. God may not be speaking to you, but he is doing something. He is working things out. His plan, his sovereignty is still in control. He is doing something around you. Because even though Jonah ran away and didn't hear from God, God's hand was still on Jonah. God's hand was still making sure that things happened around him to try to bring him back to him. But here in chapter three, we hear God speak again to Jonah and he gives Jonah the exact same task. But the thing that he changes is that he said that he will give Jonah a message to tell them. He didn't say, go out and tell them what you think about them. He didn't say, go uh, tell them what you think they need to hear. Don't go scream at them and tell them uh, the innermost desires of your heart for Nineveh, which were not good. He said, go give them the message that I tell you. He was telling Jonah that going there is not the entirety of the mission. He is clarifying there and he is saying that the mission, Jonah, the mission can only be accomplished through what I tell you. The mission can only be accomplished through what I have told you to do. 
It can't be accomplished by you doing the first part and then you diverting from, from, from the directions and doing what you think at the end. He's saying that it is completely through me that this mission will be accomplished. So you need to arise and go and you tell them that the message that I tell you. There was no guesswork for Jonah. And as I was thinking about this, I was actually sitting on the couch uh, with my wife and I was thinking about um, men in the room. Have you ever had your significant other or your mom send you to the grocery store to grab the essentials? No list, no like, hey, this is what I need you to grab, but just like a vague, like, hey, can you go grab the essentials? Because for me, um, the essentials are completely different. The, the, the game has changed. Because when my wife says that she wants me to go to the grocery store really, quick, really quickly and grab the essentials, her essentials are like milk, eggs, goldfish, stuff like that, stuff that fits her dietary needs. My essentials list is like a brisket and ribs and like, I don't know, a birthday cake because I don't get to celebrate my birthday anymore. I'm an adult, so I just get my Facebook blown up and random phone calls from family members I haven't heard from in a year, you know? So I'll just grab a birthday cake. It's an essential if I see it and I want it. And I realized this, that, that God understood that Jonah with, this va- with vague direction was going to potentially ruin the plan. And so he had to make sure to clarify everything because husband's in the room. If your wife sends you on a task or an errand without specific plans, stop right there. Just say, I need you to tell me exactly what you want me to do and it will save you a whole lot of heartache and sitting awkwardly on separate ends of the couch. Amen? Okay. But this is what God is doing. He's saying here are the exact thing. You can't mess it up because I'm sending you to a specific place and I'm gonna tell you the message that I wanna tell you. But, but here's the joy that we find in the second calling to Nineveh is that God wants to work with us. If you look at the story of Jonah, there has been nothing that has qualified him to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. There has been nothing that has qualified Jonah to accomplish this mission well. He is probably the last person to be picked on the, on the football like field, you know? If it's a pickup game on uh, the playground, he's probably gonna get left out. Because when he was told to do something, he ran the opposite way. He tried to escape by the ocean uh, and gets vomited by a fish. He probably smells bad too. But God saying that I still have this mission for you, I still have this assignment for you, is an evidence that he is at peace with Jonah. And God wants to work with us even when we disobey, even when we run away, even whenever we, we, we don't want anything to do with the assignment, God is saying that I have a mission, I have a plan for you. I want to work through you. I want to work with you on this. Even when Jonah tried to completely disqualify himself, God said, this is still the mission that I've planned for you. In chapter three, verses three and four, we see Jonah's response to the second call. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh and according to the word of the Lord, Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, 
Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Finally, Jonah does something right. He gets the mission, he gets the directions, and he follows it. God said, arise and go, and Jonah arose and went. It's that simple. I mean, think about how complicated Jonah made it to do this simple task. Instead of doing this the first time, it doesn't seem like it was much effort on Jonah's part, to be honest. He walked for a day and he said eight words. That's what the Bible tells us. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He literally walked for a day, said eight words, mission accomplished. And it, it began to kind of uh, uh, circle in my mind how often we get in our own way of God's plan. How we get in our own way of what God wants to do through us. Because we allow our desires, we allow our uh, tendencies, we allow our, uh, our moments of weakness uh, to, to get in the way. Jonah allowed his bitterness and hatred for the nation of Nineveh to take him on a journey around the world through a fish and back to the exact same place where he started. And oftentimes we do the same thing. We feel God pulling us in a certain direction to do a certain uh, task and yet we allow ourselves and we allow our desires and we allow uh, uh, the little things in life to stop us when in reality, if we were just obedient, it would have been so much easier. And here we see Jonah's willingness to go. And in this part of the story, his willingness to go actually shows us what biblical repentance looks like. When I looked up the definition of repentance on Google, because it's infinitely wise, it gave me this response. Repentance is the action of repenting. Brilliant. That was super helpful. Um, and I began to learn that our English language doesn't fully encapsulate what repentance looks like. And so I actually went and looked up the Hebrew word that is typically uh, translated to repentance or repent uh, in the English language. And uh, I'm gonna be honest, this is not the actual way you say it. I could not get Google to tell me how to say it, but I'm gonna go for it. The Hebrew word of repentance is shub. S-H-U-W-B, you try to pronounce it. It's shub and it means to return, to turn back. See our English language, uh, repentance or repent typically means, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I know that that was hurtful. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And it, it doesn't quite cut it here. In biblical sense, repentance is to return, to turn back from your evil ways and return to God. Matthew Henry says that uh, about this verse that this right here is the nature of repentance. It is the change of our mind and way and a return to our work and duty. This is a physical and spiritual representation of returning to the Lord and turning back from the evil that you have in your life. And Jonah shows us repentance by saying, you know what? Here's my desire to run as far away from Nineveh. And I know that that desire is evil because it goes against the will of God. So I'm gonna turn away from it and I'm gonna return back to what God has given me. I'm gonna return back to God. Let 
Our Jameson says this about uh, this section of the book of Jonah. He says, after we see the repentance of Jonah, Jonah was thus the fittest instrument for proclaiming judgment and yet hope of mercy on repentance to Nineveh. Being himself a living exemplification of both judgment in his entombment in the fish and mercy on repentance in his deliverance. Could it have been that all along, God knew that Jonah would run away? Could it have been that Jonah, uh, unbeknownst to him, was fulfilling what God knew was already gonna happen? That Jonah would have to experience the judgment and the wrath of God as he is thrown off the boat and in the entombment of the fish for three days and three nights so that he can return back to God. That Jonah would experience the good and the mercy of God in the whale as he saw how merciful God was to his disobedience. Could it have been that Jonah had to go through all of this so that he could be the exact person to come and proclaim judgment and mercy to Nineveh. I want you to know that the sovereignty of God is so breathtaking that even when we think that mankind is going against the will of God, God is actually still in control. When we think that our world is too far gone, when we think that our country is too far gone, when we think that the state that we live in is too far gone, God has actually already written the story of redemption. When we think that we have angered God out of using us, when we think that we have disqualified ourselves from God using us, he has already written the next page of our story. If you've never heard that word before, sovereignty means this, that God is the supreme authority and all things are under his control. And that's what is on display here is that God's sovereignty is showing out and we get to experience how he is in control and how he is making all things work for the betterment of our good. Here in the next couple of verses, we see sovereignty in full living color. Starting in verse four, it says this, Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The whole city of Nineveh repents with eight words. From the king to the cattle, they all completely repent. They rip off their clothes. They put on sackcloth, sit in ashes. They do all of the things of repentance by eight words. 
It wasn't this beautiful message that Jonah had orchestrated over weeks and weeks so that he could deliver this great sermon to teach them how to do things. He said eight words. That is the sovereignty of God on full display because that was the message that God gave Jonah. It was not Jonah's words, but it was God's words. And that's why eight words can change an entire city. Eight words by a guy who just got vomited out of a fish and didn't even wanna be there brought everyone from the king and their nobles to the least of them, to their knees in repentance. The sovereignty of God is so breathtaking that even when we don't think things are going the way that they should, he is still in control. It says after this in verse 10, that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had done, uh, that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Eight words. And the judgment of God began to be the mercy of God. The wrath of God was turned into the graciousness of God. Because Jonah was obedient to follow God's control. Let me bring something to light that is easily overlooked here. Jonah is a prophet. Remember how we said that prophets are are special because God speaks to them and through them. God reveals a message to a prophet to speak to a particular group of people and that's their assignment to go do. Jonah's mission is to tell Nineveh to repent and turn to God. And as Jonah is in the middle of the sea and God's wrath is on full display trying to get Jonah's attention, it took the sacrifice of Jonah to be thrown off the boat only to be swallowed and be in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights to satisfy God's wrath. Then the message that Jonah brought to the entirety of Nineveh accomplishing his assignment brought the entire city to its knees in repentance. And that was with a flawed, pessimistic human being that didn't even wanna be there. But the gloriousness that we get to experience right now is that we have both sides of the story, not only Old Testament, but New Testament. Now we get to look uh, for the perspective of Jesus. Now we look at Jesus who followed the plan of God to go to the lowest classes of humankind, to go and spend time with lepers and break bread with tax collectors and adulterers to face royalty and poverty with the same love of God, Jesus didn't run away from God's plan, but instead he fulfilled it completely. He walked on the raging seas that the pagan sailors feared. He created the fish that was appointed to swallow Jonah. And he fulfilled the wrath of God completely when he went into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights after sacrificing himself on the cross. And then he arose with the power of death in his hand. Jonah is the flawed savior that we get to read about in the Old Testament and it gets to show us the gloriousness of God's plan fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jonah is the personification of what, it, what we see happen when we allow our desires, when we allow our, our, our wants and needs that we think are so big to come before what God wants to do. 
It's what happens when we believe that mercy is for us and us alone and no one else. This question came to mind when I read through Jonah a few times a couple weeks ago. How often do we do things for God, but not with God? How often do we do church-like things? Do we do Christian-like things? Do we do biblical-like things, these spiritual disciplines for God, but in reality, we're not doing them with God? Jonah's story perfectly exemplifies that our lives in partnership with the sovereignty of God bring growth to the kingdom of heaven. It's so easy for us to get in our own way of what God wants to do through us. Well, Tanner, how do you do that? I'm gonna be honest, it's not an easy task because we are selfish creatures especially in this Western culture of individualistic nature. The thing that we keep uh, getting fed in our culture in America is that you are an individual. You get to do what you want, be what you want, have what you want. You are special. You are the greatest thing ever and no one else can do anything just like you. You have the answer that no one else has And if they have a different answer, they're wrong and you just cut them out of your life. But in reality, God wants to work with us. God wants to work through us. And so how do we do that? How do we not let our desires get in the way? Sometimes it takes being swallowed up by a fish. I pray that that doesn't happen to anyone in this room. But what it really takes is you bringing everything to the cross. Lord, these are where I wanna be in five years. This is the family I wanna have. This is the job I wanna work at. This is where I want my kids to go to college. This is the car I wanna drive. God, this is what I think you should have me do. I'd really love to be a missionary in like the Caribbean and like, have a high salary because, you know, I want to have a nicer house and not live in a hut. You bring these desires and you bring them to the foot of the cross and you say, Lord, change these desires to kingdom growth. Change these desires to what your will is. Because what we saw with Jesus in the garden before he was sacrificed is he proclaiming these words, not my will, but yours be done. And for us and for our nature and for who we are as human beings, One time doesn't cut it. That's an everyday declaration. Not my will, but yours be done. It's an everyday task for us to pick up our cross and carry. It's an everyday task for us to say, let me get out of the way, God, so that you can be on full display. It's not easy, it's not fun all the time. I tell everyone that when Allie and I signed up to be church planners with Matt and Carmen, we loved the vision, we loved Matt and Carmen, we thought it was gonna be great. And it has been a whirlwind of a year. It has not always been easy. It has not always been uh, the greatest moment of our lives. But we truly believe 
that God is working through this and that we just wanna be a part of what he's doing here. And so we laid down our desires of how we wanted to operate when we moved to Knoxville. And we said, we wanna be a part of this vision and let us get out of the way. And almost every day, my inner self tries to, to, to step in. My inner self tries to do everything. My inner self tries to come out and say, I can do it, I got it. In reality, God is saying, let me work through you. Don't get in the way, let me work through you. And we see that with Jonah. Here are the three things that I want you to know this morning. One, that God is sovereign. God is in complete control. He has written the story and we get to be a part of it. And that's a glorious, comfortable uh, uh, kind of feeling that we get to lay back in. Because God is sovereign, we don't have to strive and try and dig and claw our way forward, but instead we get to lean back into him. We get to lean back into his control. Two, God wants to work with us and through us. Lay down your desires daily. Pick up your cross daily. Let the Lord work through you. He wants to. He's at peace with you. He wants it to happen. And three, repentance leads to working with God. Like I said, lay it all down and return to him. Turn away from uh, what your old self would have wanted. Turn away from what your old self uh, desired, what your old self said was supposed to happen and let him work through you. Jonah showed us a flawed savior and Jesus showed us a perfect savior. We have the guidebook, we have the direction. All we have to do is be obedient. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come realizing that you and you alone are sovereign. We have nothing left to do but just lean into the story that you are writing. We have nothing left to do but just lay down these desires to repent from our old self and return to you and be a part of what you're doing. I pray that through all of this, through this story of Jonah, that we realize that your mercy and sovereignty are always working. They're always behind the scenes. Even when we don't see it, when we don't hear it, when we don't know what's happening, you are working for the betterment of our good. We love you, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.